of major sports are in action this week with the college football playoffs ready to kick off. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, including news for pro football, the NBA, upcoming fights, and NHL games this season. Head to the website today to get into the action and see all the updated odds for the week. Remember to use promo code BLEAV to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. This place reminds me of Santa's workshop. It smells like mushrooms and everyone looks like they want to hurt me. Ho, 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 Astros fans. And happy holidays from the Believe in Astros podcast. I triple dog It's time to stuff your stockings with baseball knowledge from sports writer Jeff Bulky. I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. And Astros broadcaster and former third baseman Jeff Blum. Oh my God! Now, here's Bulky the Elf. Daddy's I know him. <laughs> what is up, Astros fans? Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome to episode 100 of the Believe in Astros uh, podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I hope everybody is having a lovely uh, holiday season thus far and a, and a good, uh, relaxing off season uh, for those of uh, you who are involved in the baseball world. Plumber, as certainly you. Um, and you said your family's all back together for the holidays. How's it going over there in the Blummer household? It's actually very good. You know, we had, uh, Corey and I have created our little bit of a routine, but uh, having the girls back is always a good thing. It's just uh, uh, family is what it's all about around the holiday times and nothing, uh, nothing greater than having them all back after not having them home for about three or four months. It's been great. Yeah, I was going to say you've been empty nesters here for a little bit and uh, got to get readjusted back to having them all back in the in the house. The chaos, the the mm-hmm. family intrigue, the drama. <laughs> That's got to be good. It is good. Yeah, and it's good <clears throat> to see all their friends, too, because, you know, you kind of grow up with that high school group and their crew and uh, totally. all their crew is back, too. So we get to catch up with a lot of different people. It's kind of nice. That's super cool. I've got the uh, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, the two nephews and their three dogs descending on our house in a couple of days, <laughs> <laughs> so it will be pure chaos in here, which is which is always great. It's fun. There's my wife and I were talking about this yesterday. That you know, a little chaos at the holidays is is an enjoyable thing. You know, it's just yes. a, it makes everything feel a little more festive. So it's it's been an interesting off season so far. Um, I, I really mainly today want to talk a little bit about sort of what's been going on with the Astros and how people have been sort of thinking about them. I know there's been, you know, it's a weird off season, right? Because there's been a lot Mm -hmm. of just sitting around for a lot of teams. I mean, obviously a lot of people waiting on show that Shohei Otani shoe to drop and good Lord, was it a big shoe? Um, Let's just start real quick with the, with the things the Astros did do, which is during the winter meetings, they did sign their backup catcher that they were looking for Victor Caratini and they traded for relief pitcher Dylan Coleman. These were their two stated goals that they were really uh, going after. Um, Feels to me like Caratini is a great fit. The Astros. He's not. He's thirty years old, so he's not, you know, an older guy. But he has been around a while. He's a switch hitter. Hits better from the left hand than the right, left side than the right side. Um, and obviously, they're not. He's not going to be challenging Andrew Diaz for for time. But he still has that uh, experience that he's going to give them what they need at that catcher position. 
Yeah. And he's, you know, he understands his role. They gave him yeah. a decent contract. And I think that's the biggest thing is that I'm sure the conversation was what kind of contract can you give me and what's my role going to be? Because if you're on the outside looking in, you understand that uh, Yiner is a pretty dynamic player behind right. the plate with his ability to be able to hit the baseball. And it's just refining some of those uh, defensive skills. And hopefully Caratini brings some of that experience to him and kind of offers him a little more advice too, because he can still play that mentor, even though he's He's, you know, just going to meet Yiner maybe for the first time in uh, spring training, and they can kind of glean some interva- inter- inter- glean some information off each other mm-hmm. in that spring training. But at the same time, you know, you mentioned the switch hitting bat, so you, Joe Espada is going to have opportunities to maybe, you know, pinch hit him mm-hmm. or maybe give uh, Yiner some relief against a tough right-handed pitcher where left-handers hit them <clears> better. <throat> and uh, I'm also hearing rumors that he could play a little bit of first base. So who's to say yep. he's not able to give Jose Abreu a couple of days off? if not one day off a week and right. Joe's going to do his I think Joe's going to be different in the sense that if he if he can find it bats for some of these role playing type guys he might go out there and do it and that's how you're going to do it is maybe first base and catcher you know I, I think that's a really good point Blummer because I've been thinking a lot in this offseason and I've, I've had conversations with a number of people saying listen I, I think one of the things the Astros are going to do going into this year is they're going to look, number one, they're going to look for ways to rest guys that are going to, you know, we saw last year that Jose Abreu was better after he had some rest. Jose Altuve not getting any younger. Um, Some of these pitchers, like, look, uh, Justin Verlander was better on five days rest last year than he was on four. I think the Astros are probably going to be looking at that, and it benefits them to a certain degree because they have guys like Mauricio Dubon who can play mm-hmm. a number of different a number of different positions on the field, and you have a guy like Caratini. It, it would make sense that they would be able to use these guys. You know, you've got Jordan who's going to DH, but he's also going to play some left field. So you have a chance to sort of move these guys around, give them some time off, make sure they're well rested. You don't want to lose anybody. You know, for the season, obviously injuries were a big factor last year. Yeah, they were a huge factor last year. And, you know, maybe Kessinger learns how to play a little bit of third base and first base. Maybe Hensley does the same thing. I think that would really give these guys an opportunity. Like you said, the Mauricio Dubons, the Hensleys, Kessingers, uh, some of these other Caratini also go out mm-hmm. there in the offseason, you know, work on that first base uh, move a little bit and get comfortable over there. Because I think the one thing that they were lacking last year, and granted, you know, Alex Bregman is going to be an Astro. He, they're going to try and extend him. But at the same time, they they need somebody that can go out there and play the corner positions. They didn't right. have that guy that could play the corner positions, third base and first base. So I know Alex wants to play 162 games. Maybe he does in this uh, time clock era that continues to shrink in time. Yeah. And he's able to do that. But at the same time, <clears throat> if you can give him a break, uh, why not go ahead and do that and keep their legs fresh? I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Astros come into spring training after you know basically gaining a month of an offseason back after not going to the World Series last year. Yeah, and, and and I tell you too, that's something I want to talk about with you coming up here is the fact that they are, this is a, you know, we're going to have, there's, there's a totally different vibe going into this year just from a rest standpoint and all that. I, I do want to mention pitcher Dylan Coleman. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know too Ooh. much about him, but it's an interesting signing because he's a guy who, Sort of had a good season, then kind of had a rough season. He seems like a the the ideal sort of Astros pitching candidate, right? The guy that has oh, some yeah. spin, guy has a little you know has a little oomph on his fastball, but has some has had some control issues. 
that's right up the Astros out. That's the kind of guy that you that you see the Astros bring in and tinker with and turn into a really good pitcher, right? No, I completely agree. I mean, everything that you saw on paper, you're like, wow, Dylan Coleman, you're like, okay, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. he'll be a bit of a role player. But I think if, uh, you know, uh, if Murph out there in the bullpen can get his hands on him and then you mm-hmm. get, uh, you know, Coach Miller with his hands on him yep. and then you start to manipulate what he's able to do because obviously the talent's <clears throat> there and we've seen the Astros bring in talent yeah. and then hone it in and turn it into, into a productive arm. So I think you're right in that sense. He's, you know, upper 90s. He's got power spin. And those are two things that the Astros love. And maybe he's able to work in there a little bit later in that bullpen if he's able to get that command down. Because if his stuff's near the zone, he's going to get some swing and miss. I mean, I, I'm sure you've seen the videos on social yeah. media too where you're like, damn, ball just jumps out of this guy's hand. And maybe this is the opportunity he's looking for. Yeah, and and I think that's exactly right. Uh, again, this, these are the Astros seem to be so good with these pitches. I don't want to call them reclamation projects. That's not really fair to these guys because it's still a very mm. good major league pitcher. But these are guys who you could, they're just maybe not quite where you want them to be. You saw with Phil Maton when they brought him in here. You saw there's been just got, person after person after person they brought in here and, and turned into great pitchers. Another interesting note out of out of uh, I was going to say spring training because I'm wishful thinking here. Another another note out of uh, winter meetings. Jake Myers is going to get time in center field, uh, mm-hmm. and and you know my thought about this. And I was telling somebody about this the other day. First of all, that's clearly their best defensive outfield is with with Myers, McCormick, and and Tucker. That's clearly their best defensive. I mean, you could argue Dubon over one of them, but they're both, this, this is their best defensive alignment in an everyday. And listen, there were a couple times last year where Jake Myers had it going offensively. He's still very young. This is, I feel like an opportunity to see if this is, if Jake Myers is going to be the guy we started to think we were seeing a couple years ago before he injured his shoulder. That's still the idea. I, you know, there's going to be some fans out there that say, "Hey, we've we've seen this. We know mm-hmm. we can go get it on defense, but we haven't seen the offensive production consistently enough to go out there and do it." I agree with you. Chaz is probably better better defensive position is left field. But he's mm-hmm. a great corner guy, uh, and you need his bat in the lineup. I think he's earned that. A 20-plus home run oh, guy yeah. that can play a, an outfield spot, you're going to give him multiple opportunities a week to go out there and try and do damage. And you've got to remember the way this roster is constructed now that you're losing Michael Brantley, who you know, we haven't heard – heard what he's going to do with his future in the game, whether it be on the field or off, mm-hmm. uh, but he's not going to be in the mix. So that opens up the opportunity to move Chaz McCormick to left field and put Jake Myers in center field. And that might be the tentative plan right now to have Jake Myers in center field unless a better option comes around. But uh, if I'm Jake Myers, I've got to understand that I've been here and haven't really lived up to the billing. Mm-hmm. And this is my this is my turn to go out there and do it, because if I don't do it this time around, uh, you know, what happens next? And I think if he doesn't do it, the Astros are going to be in a precarious position trying to fill that void in center field or left field. When you move Chaz back to center field, if Jake Myers doesn't uh, provide the value and who's to say if Jake doesn't go out there and have a wonderful spring training, that maybe his value goes up to another right. team and you're able to move him. I don't know. And see, that's that's another point, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Blummer, because that's what that was right next on my mind was, you know, this could also be an audition. Um, J- look, they they spun uh, Miles Straw into Yiner Diaz and Phil Maton a few years ago. Ooh. Very similar type situation. 
defensive minded mm-hmm. outfielder with a light hit light hitting defensive minded outfielder. Um, <clears throat> who's to say this is not another one of those situations? Um, Jordan's going to play some left field. You know, he seems to think he's better when he plays left field than when he's just DHing. I know the Astros yep. want to protect him as much as they can, um, but he's going to play some left field as well. So it, it's going to be real interesting to see sort of what they do with that outfield lineup, <clears throat> assuming we have this same group of guys here going forward. I will say there's been a lot of talk. I don't know a lot of talk, but, you know, fans get bored in the offseason. And you see guys, you see teams spending boatloads of money, like the Yankees, like the Dodgers, and people start to say, well, the Astros aren't spending enough money, even though they're pushing right up against that, ta- the you know, the tax apron, the competitive balance tax, I guess what they call it, the CBT. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> here's my thought on that, Blum. I actually wrote something about that for the Houston Press today. The Astros, here's the key of all that, right? They actually don't have to spend money. And that's and everyone should be really excited about that prospect. Every team in baseball, and you and I have talked about this, are chasing the Astros, right? They're chasing mm-hmm. what the Astros have in terms of their organization, in terms of how they're set up. And even if you were going to say, let's add payroll, right? Let's add, where are you going to add it exactly? I mean, unless you're mm-hmm. willing to tra- shed some guys, I mean, because most of your payroll, big name guys are going to go in pitching, maybe in the outfield, but there's not really that many. I mean, unless you're going to go out and sign Cody Bellinger, and who's going to give Cody Bellinger? I mean, somebody's going to give him like eight or nine years. I just don't Ooh. see the Astros making those kinds of deals, and I don't think they should. It's just not – it's bad business. Uh, especially – look, Jim Crane's a billionaire, but he's not Steve Cohen billionaire, right, who can just afford to yeah. just burn money willy-nilly like it's nothing. I think you've got to consider those things – and. And notice that not everyone is spending either. Astros aren't alone in that. No, I mean, just look inside the division. The Rangers are obviously a World Series championship team. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, they've got guys coming <clears throat> back. They've got you know an incredible amount of money. They're they're based on health also. Yes. But then what do you have after the Astros and Rangers? Once you get out of the state of Texas in the American League West. The Angels are terrible. The <laughs> Oakland A's can barely wow. compete, and then the Seattle Mariners have stripped their roster. Yes. So you know it's interesting what's going on there. So basically, it's a two-team race for me right now between the Astros and the Rangers, and the the Rangers are possibly going to lose Jordan Montgomery. Mm-hmm. They're going to gain Jacob Degrom. Their bullpen is still kind of eh for me, but their offense is very good. So they're they're going to have to rely on certain things. But the Astros still have a very competitive roster. Yep. They're still in contention for the American League West because they play so yep. well against the Rangers. And then you look <clears throat> outside that in the American League, you're going to see some better teams. But man, the the, the Angels got considerably worse. The Angels. No. A's are not good, and you could argue that the Seattle Mariners got worse. They, they, they really they've did. traded away some guys and haven't gained them back, but I know they're counting on starting pitching, which is their strength up in Seattle, but mm-hmm. at the same time, that offense is a lot of, still a lot of swing and miss. Oh, man. I mean, they they really did. It was, I was surprised that they that they did that. Um, you I thought know, they were loading up to try and go get Shohei. I, I <laughs> do, to too, but Bayless. they were like, right at the beginning, we're out. You know, they were just like, we're out. Um I, you know, it's interesting to me, too, with the Astros and Rangers. Look, the Rangers aren't going to have Scherzer for half a season. You know, he had That's to have surgery. Thing. You gained a Grom, but eventually you gained a Grom. Right. But you have lost Scherzer until June, July. Yeah. yeah I mean, they're, and like you said, they're going to lose Jordan Montgomery. And they're not spending. And here's a real interesting thing about that, right? 
they're not spending because they may not be on TV next year. Like, can oh, you gosh, imagine about the-, the World Series champions not having a local TV deal? That is unbelievable. No, yeah, continue to go off on that, but I have I have another th- another theory behind the Astros that I read about too recently. Go oh, ahead. well, I was just going to say, look, the Astros are losing money, you know, uh, from because they aren't getting royalty money. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? that's that's a th- so the acquisitions uh, that mm-hmm. the Astros have made have been a TV network, and that's not exactly a profitable profitable venture for the first couple of years. No, that's when right. You lose and the rights money. That's right. You lose at seventy three million dollars. Now they may mm-hmm. the idea is eventually they'll get that back in ad revenue and and other things, but it takes some time. And the Rangers look. Bally Sports Network has already said the Rangers and the Guardians are two teams they're not going to have in as part of their roster of teams, which means those two teams are going to be scrambling to find a home for their games. I can't remember a time when uh, a team coming off of a World Series was like, well, good luck finding us on television. It's That's like, so crazy. It's and CJ Nikowski read the tea leaves and bailed for Atlanta. He's uh, he moved to Atlanta, yes. so now they're looking for color commentary and a network. I mean, it's this just, is uh, it's unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Then that's of course in your world. I mean, Blummer, it's it's to me, it's like when you look at that, the, the fact. Here's the thing about the Astros: it may cost them right now, but the real benefit the Astros have and the Rockets also because they have the network together, is that they have carriage agreements that are good for the next decade plus. That is a yes. big, big deal. Because getting those carriage agreements is really tough. As we saw, I mean, they went through a huge fight, lawsuits. There's still a lawsuit going on between yeah. Jim Crane and Day- and, uh, and Drayton McLean over the, the sale of the team and the, how much it was valued at. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those things are really hard. So the fact that they do have those carriage agreements, so those games will be on TV is a bit that puts them ahead of the game. But first year or two, it's going to sting, man. First couple of years, that is going to sting. But the network's cool. So fans don't care, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, they're going to get what they want. They're going to be able to see the Astros. And I'm I'm grateful for that opportunity. So absolutely. I know that it's just uh, just anticipate it's going to be a little rough, you know, financially for Jim the next couple of years. But after that, it should be all right, because, I mean, they're just trying. (laughs) I don't know if he has had any experience running a network. It's not you know, it's not just plug it in and go. It's not. I mean, I you know, I have lots of friends who work in the media all over the place and they'll tell you, like, the amount of effort that goes into like I mean, just just in ad revenue alone, trying to generate mm-hmm. ad revenue, you've got to have the right people in those places. It's not easy. It is a, it is nope. a tough gig. Uh, you said you had some uh, you had read something about the Astros. So tell me what you were thinking. No, on that. that was it. Oh, the, no, oh. that was it. The, you know that they're losing the uh, revenue share. Yeah, they're losing that money. But at the same time, they're owning the network, so they yeah. could gain money. But it's going to take a couple of years to put the programming in place, mm-hmm. make sure that they've got all the pieces in the right place, and the management running it the way they want. And then we can start accruing that cash and get back their, their feet back under them. But uh, he took a chance on this network, and yeah. unfortunately, I think it's going to affect the entirety of what you're trying to do as far as a ball club. I agree. Um, I think the biggest thing for the Astros is not going to be this offseason. It's going to be next. Next offseason is the one where you really have to start. You know, you've got a couple of big names coming up for free agency. Uh, you're getting into the last year of contracts for some other guys. Um, it, 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 I, I feel like next offseason is going to be – JV is going to have you know potentially another year. It's it's You're, you're really going to – I think next year we're really going to start seeing where the – 
you know, uh, rubber meets the road when it comes to the Astros mm-hmm. spending. I do have a, a programming tip for them. I'm going to suggest Blummer Tonight. As, as a, <laughs> get a little Blummer Tonight on there. A little little highlights, little, uh, you know, little movie quotes. A little Maybe, you hey, you could, perhaps you could be the next great late night host, but Houston-centric. You could have, you know, hey, Astros after dark. I wear, it already sounds good. Get the get the panel discussion happening. Get some mm-hmm. get some local people on there. Get them to talk about it. I'd I can see. I can see it. I can see it. You know, one thing you mentioned a minute ago, and I wanted, I do want to mention that about the Astros too going forward. This year, there's no WBC, right? Now the WBC yep. impacted them directly in the fact that they lost Jose Altuve for two months, three almost three months. But it also indirectly, because I think that's why Christian Javier was was struggled. Yeah. And if you look at these guys, I just think that, number one, the rest time that they have, which is different. I mean, they didn't go to the World Series, so they get an extra couple of weeks plus, uh, plus the no WBC. But <clears throat> I want to get your thoughts on how the fact that you have guys like Hunter Brown, like uh, um, Christian Javier, some of these other young pitchers, J.P. France, who pitched a lot of innings last year for the first time, mm-hmm. is that is that something that then benefits them going forward? Do they, are they now stretched out so now they can they can mm-hmm. conceivably do another 150 innings this year? Uh, how does that actually work when it comes to pitchers? Is that how it works, or, or how does it work? I'm, I'm hoping it does. <clears throat> I mean, they, they're going to have to alter their their offseason program a little bit. Uh, you know, Hunter Brown, this isn't his first rodeo. He's mm-hmm. he's pitched deep into a season like he did in 2022 on that World Series run the Astros uh, were on. Mm-hmm. And then he had this season. But at the same time, you know, these guys are, are they're, they're having conversations with management. They're having conversation with coaches, trying to figure out what their role is going to be next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are they going to fit into this organization? And if you want to fit into the organization at the big league level, you better damn well be prepared to go 150 innings, if not more, if you're in that rotation, because the expectation is to produce. Um, you know, if you're in the bullpen, you prepare differently. But if you're in that rotation, you better you better strengthen up a little bit and uh, figure this thing out. Start asking questions of Justin Verlander. Start asking questions around the league of guys you know that are in the big leagues at, at pitching at that level and find a way to be prepared for that long haul and understand that when you get to spring training, you're going to have a little bit of dead arm. How do I get through that? And then how do I continue to maintain my strength throughout the season? So a lot of it's on the coaching staff, but even more of it's on the player. And if you want to be in the big leagues, you're going to find a way. And I, you know, I don't know if there's a certain program or an answer for some of that, Mm -hmm. but I know that, uh, you know, even as a position player, you know, one of the things you did is you bulked up. I bulked up as much as I could. I would come into, you know, camp 10 pounds overweight, uh, but I don't mean in the sense that I was just a fat blob when I came in. I just meant that I had 10 extra pounds of muscle that I could burn throughout the first couple of months of the season yeah. where I'd get to my fighting weight about halfway through the season and finish the season strong. So, yeah. you know, those are ideas that these guys have to get through. Um, uh, but if but if you want to be at the big league level, you'll find a way. Yeah. And I think that that's just one of the things that you know that you're going to deal with because everything you've done in your minor league career has gotten you to the point to be ready to pitch 150. 50 plus innings, if yeah. not more. And it's just crazy to me that we're saying 150 plus innings for a starting pitcher. Because know. You know, I'm still in that I'm still in that old school mode where I want 175 to 200 yep. of my guys. No doubt. You know, because if if you have four guys that go 175 innings, 
you're probably going to be pretty good yeah. at the end of the season. Well, they they might have six guys to do that this year. I mean, they have so well, many and that's you know, so many starting pitchers. Of, they have a lot of questions on who's in the rotation <clears throat> and who's in the bullpen because Absolutely. you're losing Maton, Naris, Stanick. And who you know? Who's to say Hunter Brown doesn't fill that position, and Spencer Arigetti doesn't get a right. chance in the rotation? It's a lot of fun questions. Yeah, I tell you, Blummer, I'm just imagining you coming into a camp like about ten pounds. They're like, "Damn, Blummer, you you really swole up this year, but you're really pale." And then you just say to them, "There's no sun in the gym, bro." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well played, my friend. That's well played. I mean, <laughs> I, the, it's interesting you say you put on that that extra weight, that extra strength. I mean, you know, people don't talk enough about the grind of what it means to be a professional athlete. I mean, you hear it, you hear it, right? <clears throat> but there have been a few times when I've been, when I've covered some teams and I've been at a like, I remember seeing guys after entire games, like basketball games, football games, whatever, in the weight room, like going full, mm-hmm. you know, doing hour, two hours worth of workout after because, well, their muscles are already broken down. So now they're going to break them down even more to build them back up. Um, people don't realize what kind of an incredibly uh, dedicated and, you know, a competitive person you have to be <clears throat> to be in those circumstances and to get in there. Cause, you know, you're spending hours and hours in the gym. <laughs> You know, and and working on time and like, you know, most of us were like, "Eh, eh, eh, okay, we're good, you know, but Mm -hmm. athletes get in there and they're like, I'm going to work on this tiny little muscle that no one's ever heard of before for like a full hour. That's just got to be exhausting. So I and I don't think enough people realize that. No, these these guys are workaholics, and I think that a lot of these guys now, in just in talking to them and trying to figure out their routines, they get to the ballpark, you know, one two o'clock in the afternoon for a seven o'clock game, and they actually go into the gym before these games. They'll go in work out, but then they have hot tubs, cold tubs. They've got massage therapists. They've got guys that are stretching them. So, it, these these are finely tuned machines that these guys have created. Uh, there's nutritionists on every team. There's two or three strength and conditioning coordinators. Mm-hmm. There's got to be about four trainers on every team. And uh, these guys have an eye over them. And the expectation is that they're going to work their tail off to consistently be on the field, ready to go and prepared and strong enough to withstand 162 games. It's impressive what these guys do. Yeah. And the harder take that for granted. No, absolutely not. And especially because, you know, it, I think people don't, you know, I remember the, the line, I always think about it when uh, they asked Emmett Smith, about being on Dancing with the Stars, and and they said, you know, why is it that athletes do so well at at, at competitions like this? And he said, well, because we we understand how to practice. He goes, most people they practice until they can do it right. He says, we practice until it's we can't do it wrong. And there's exactly. a huge difference in that. It's and it's it's that mm-hmm. ten thousand hours mentality that you have, um, and the harder you work, you know, then the less likely <laughs> you end up with, you know, a blown sputinator. As it was, it's not a blown spootinator. Don't blow the spootinator, man. That's the one thing you you don't. Hey, if you don't have the spootinator connected, you are not going to last a full season. I guarantee it. That's exactly right. So, speaking of giant spootinators, let's talk for just a minute about this Otani deal. I mean, one of first of all, lots of money, seven hundred million dollars, generational wealth. 
Um, in fact, and he's already making they said, third world country wealth. Exactly right. I mean, yes, some small states are like, damn, I wish we could get mm-hmm. that kind of tax dollar revenue. Um, the other thing too about this is that he already makes about fifty million a year in endorsements. He'll make more mm-hmm. than that now uh, because he is such a signature marquee star. But when you look at this, the deferment of all that money. What a fascinating twist. Now, the Dodgers are still going to pay a boatload of money per year. You know, there's st- in terms of their cap, they're still going to take mm-hmm. like a $43 million cap hit. Um, but the fact that they only have to pay him $2 million a year until the end. I, I, I Now, again, at the end of that 10 years, he gets 10 years more worth of worth of contract money, right? Yeah, it's a 20-year contract. It's yeah. a 20-year contract, right? But when, I always think about that Simpsons episode. I mentioned this yesterday where it's, he went in to buy like a big truck and they're telling him the, the the all the deals on the contract. And they said, finally, the CPB or crippling balloon payment. And I was like, <laughs> the Dodgers got that $680 million. Like, whoa, let's write that check. Mm-hmm. But um it's it's remarkable to me what they did, and and to Otani's credit, I tweeted out, "Oh no way, he offers this deal to anybody else." But to his credit, he did. He offered it to every team. What is, do you think that changes the calculus of teams when it comes to contracts? I mean, obviously, Otani is a unicorn. Uh, I don't think anybody else is getting seven hundred million bucks. But do you think that that sort of deferment process? Do you think that changes the calculus for some teams in terms of what they're willing to pay and how long they're willing to go? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I learned something out of this deal because I didn't realize the CBA allowed you to defer ninety five percent of your contract, I and it's been either. like that for Nobody a while. Did. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and usually, you know, the, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a funny story about, I had a deferred contract with the Tampa Bay Rays because they were waiting for their revenue sharing check from the Yankees to be able no. to pay me the next year. So that was kind of interesting. Wow. It was also very nice, a very nice surprise in spring training. But at the same time, you know, why haven't teams used this more often? You know, it's always that Bobby Bonilla thought where he just deferred for the next, you know, 30 years, a million and a, you know, what, 1.17 million or whatever yeah. it's been. But, uh, you know, Otani had a very clever idea. And there's a couple of aspects to this that, that I just thought of personally. And I don't know if this is going to come to fruition or if it's a thought, but, you know, obviously taking 2 million a year, making most a bulkier money in the, in the endorsement area, which is genius. He's already got the mm-hmm. paycheck, but he can help the team. It's like, you know, the NFL where you get paid a massive bonus and you take your yearly salary right. to, to work and to benefit the salary cap, because in full reality, there's a soft cap in baseball. Yeah. Granted, it's very high, but at the same time, there's only three, three, maybe four teams that approach that right. and actually get over it. But there is a cap. So if you're able to go out there on one of these teams like the Dodgers who are already over it and say, hey, look, I'll take $2 million a year. That's the only hit you're going to get against the cap. And we can move on and you can pay me for the next 10 years after my 10-year contract's done at $68 million a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Who's to say the Dodgers don't have some of this money already and start putting it away in some bond or a fund? or something mm-hmm. like that and st- they start to gain interest on it so when they do pay otani they're like eh, we'll give them 680 million but we made about 200 million off the deal well yeah and, i don't know if that if well, that's possible yeah no well they said that they're that interest is deferred as well so he did they're not gonna have to pay interest on any of that so they pay him 680 yeah. million dollars in 10 years with today's money which is mm-hmm. a different amount of money you know it doesn't exactly. sound like it but it is 
And who's to say Otani, after that 10-year deal, doesn't move to the state of Texas where there's no state income tax? All of a sudden, he has deferred $680 million worth of taxing yep. from California to Texas. Because <laughs> you know? no who wants to get taxed that much in California? Because if he signed a you know, $700 million deal, he's probably going to see $350 million of it because yeah. the California taxes are so outrageous. No, that's exactly right. So there's a lot right. of interesting aspects. No, there really is. And Blummer, I will say that the Dodgers do have to pay... They have a much bigger cap hit than $2 million. Like that was the yeah, one they're, thing. They're already over it. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and it's. And it, then they signed Glass now. Right. Well, they the, the deal is, is that I didn't know this either. There's so much about this contracts that I learned through this process. And I think a lot of people did that the your cap number is not just the amount of money you're paid. The cap number is determined by what the value is based on the contract. So a bunch of mm -hmm. people. I don't know who it was, if it was Players Association or, or owners or who it was, did the calculus and said, okay, his contract is worth $43 million a year. So that's your cap number is $43 mm -hmm. million. Even though you're only paying him $2 million, bucks, your cap number is actually 43 But 43 is a lot less than 68 or set or 70 Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so really fascinating stuff. I'm curious how you feel about the only concern I have in this, and it's the same concern I always have with money like this. And it's not really with the Astros. The Astros are not the little sisters of the poor. Um, mm. You know, this is a team that's in top 10 in payroll every year. How do you, you know, I saw Ken Rosenthal, uh, who I have mixed feelings about um, at times, writing about saying, well, small market fans aren't going to like this, but they just need to get over it because it's good for baseball. I'm like, is it though? Because what you're basically saying is that half of the league, really, and I'm not saying could do Otani's deal, only a few teams could do that, but like half mm -hmm. the league is never going to be able to afford to compete, right? Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, you know, St. Louis has done a good job, even Pittsburgh. though really, I mean, <clears throat> they just, they're not going to have the money to do this. Mm -hmm. So how does that leave? Like all of a sudden we've got division one and division two, it's like college football. I, yeah. I, to me, this—that's the one worry that I have about this—is that it really does. You think the competitive balance—it's competitive balance tax, but there's there's no competitive balance in baseball. Yeah, but when you're making a, you know, you're going to make a billion dollars off this guy over his seven hundred million dollar contract. Who gives a crap? I'll pay the extra fifty million a year to have the greatest team of all, or what team I think is going to be the greatest team of all time. I mean, Otani's going to get his playoff exposure in the first round, maybe be knocked out in the first round. You know, who knows the way they've been going? There's, but again, there's no guarantee that these guys are going to be that great. But I do think it is kind of sad for some of these fan bases that aren't. They're only going to be able to see these 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 superstars and these superstar teams in passing right you know you've got the balanced schedule so you're going to see them once maybe twice if you're in the same division and yep. then you move on but you talk about the small market teams who aren't going to be able to compete with these contracts how about the teams inside the division where you're just going to sit here and watch the los angeles dodgers pay 60 70 million in a you know the uh, competitive balance tax and just kind of flip the bird at it and be like, we're going to have a powerhouse team. We're going to try and win 150 games inside the National League West and move on. You know, it makes it really tough to compete against these guys uh, financially. You just hope that you're able to put together, create some chemistry and overcome that by having a better statistical team right. and maybe overachieve a little bit. But uh, for the time <clears throat> being, you've got the Harlem Globetrotters being developed in New York, in Boston, in in uh, LA right. and some of these places, which is kind of crazy to think about and how about just one more note on this Shohei Otani mm -hmm. contract how about being a Dodger front office or Dodger 
owner right now and saying, yeah, we'll sign that deal. I'm not going to be here by the end of it. Well, that's going to be fired. And this contract's going to live on somebody else's plate Plumber. for the next 20 years. And I'm going to be like, I'm going to be sitting in Cabo with my hands <laughs> up going, man, I signed that deal. Look at them now. <laughs> Dude, you know. I you you absolutely hundred percent read my mind. I thought about this yet. In fact, it was last night. I was laying in bed trying to fall asleep, and I was thinking about this podcast. And I thought about the Otani thing, and I was like, "Man, whoever owns this team, I mean, I don't know. I don't know who they are, right? I'm going to be honest. I don't know who owns the damn Dodgers, but they could be dead in ten years. We don't know. I was saying, they're not going to be alive to pay off the contract. It's just, I mean, that's a thing, and and honestly. If the Dodgers, like if I were the owner of a team like the Dodgers and I were going along and saying, you know what, we're going to sign Otani, we're going to blow it up, we're going to see if we can win a World Series or two, and then I'm going to cash the hell out. I mean, (laughs) that team could be worth, I mean, you see teams now are already worth two, you know, billions of dollars now instead of hundreds of millions when they, Mm -hmm. I mean, just in 10 years, Teams have gone from valuations of like five, six hundred million to like two billion. Phoenix Suns just sold for that, you know. Um, <laughs> so it's like, I mean, come on. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're a hundred percent right. These people may not be around to pay those tabs. What do they care? It's like mm, exactly. I'm gonna sign that check. Mm-hmm. Somebody else will pick up the tab later. All right, one more thing before we get going. I'm just going to one more time. I said this on the radio the other day. I'm going to say it again. Uh, screw Nashville um, for their use of uh, the Oiler uniforms uh, on oh. a Sunday against Houston. And here's my thing. I don't care about the Columbia Blue, whatever. It's fine. But the use of the actual name, the Tennessee Oilers. That was I, the dumbest thing. Do they? I mean, how? Oh, my gosh. Whatever. I know. it's, And I grew up as an Oilers fan, right? And it didn't offend me. It didn't offend me as an Oilers fan. It offended me as a sports fan, right? Because I've been thinking about this, Palmer. Maybe you know this. I cannot recall a team that has donned uh, a throwback uni. Uh, I can't really recall one that donned a throwback uni that had the actual name of the team on it, not the city, but the name of the team from another city where they used to play. Right. Mm-hmm. It'd be like, uh, you know, the uh, Baltimore wearing a Colts jersey or something like or whatever. Or the it is. Nationals wearing an Expos jersey. That, that's an exact. They've never they worn it. They will not do that. They'll wear, Now they've worn powder blue. Right. Fine. Yep. But they didn't. It didn't say Expos on it. It said Washington. Right. Yeah. I just mm-hmm. that the gall of that. Right. I mean, well, ten, well, isn't the whole Tennessee thing like they're they have like a very minute, small accent color that is that powder blue yes they've never they've never recognized the houston oilers for me i don't believe until now until this year the only thing i appreciate is is that they've had dan pastorini they've had earl campbell honor the hell out of those guys but if you know what if the astro if the astros if the texans were able to honor those guys imagine the reception that would create bring back warren moon bring back dan pastorini all these guys and you put them in the texans you know the texans field 
with the with that powder mm-hmm. blue, the place would the place would erupt. Well, they sued the, because that's the passion and that's the love and that's the familiarity that they have here. Yeah, they sent the cease and desist to U of H because how dare they wear powder? Such you know, bullshit. Columbia Give blue. Me a break. Tell and me the, how petty you are by going after U H. And by that the U H uniform was badass. That was badass. And by the way, Mike Vrabel, don't walk in wearing a bum Phillips cowboy hat. Don't do that. Don't do that. that. That was one of the more awkward photos I've ever seen. I'm like, for somebody somebody just posted that and wrote all hat, no cattle. And I was like, done. <laughs> and there it is. That's, That's the so winner. True. That is the winner. Yeah, I just, you know, look, man, I'm not a uniform like freak. I know lots of people get real worked up about uniforms, but the name bothers me. The name bothers yeah. me because it, it bothers me in the same way that the Utah Jazz are the Jazz when the te- there's a team in New Orleans that should be the Jazz, right? I mean, those are the kind mm-hmm. of things that annoys me. The name, using the Euler name and the oil dare, what do they have to know about oil, right? I mean, anyway, that's my that's my small rant. I'm going to just leave it at that. And I'm no, it. Full credit to J.J. Watt, too, man. Oh, uh, right? His tweet was great. His tweet was spectacular. If there's any question who where J.J. Watt's heart lies... Not anymore. Now, talk to, yeah, you know, JJ, JJ's a Texan. He's a Houstonian. Uh, Andre Johnson, also yes. the same way. But uh, talk about the ultimate, ultimate backfires. I mean, I this mean, was happy Gilmore esque. They were, they where, were the Oilers for a day. <laughs> for a day. For a, they and they the, completely got shat on. Just like yeah. the old Oilers did. Just like the oh, old man. And by the way, by Case Keenum, who played for U of H. Mmm, the poetic justice. Gosh, it's just it's so a, good. The, the story the writes full itself. Full circle, baby. Full circle. All right, Blum, you got, mm. uh, tell me about your holiday plans. Tell me, I know you must have some big, you've got the fam in town and everybody. Is it just going to be the family? Or do you have more people coming in or what's what's going on? Um, well, whoever wants to show up can show up because I've <laughs> already got six people in this house and it, it, it just bring it. You know, I, I'm already accustomed to it, so just bring it. Um, nice. But no, I think we're going to have. Uh, I think it's just family. Yeah. And then we are going to January is going to be our big travel month. We're oh, going to cool. take the we're taking the girls down to Mexico for nice. uh, you know after the new year and before they go back to school. So we'll do that. And then we have a big. Uh, my wife and I have a big West Coast swing uh, set up in late January, I believe, to go see a friend who's turning fifty. And we're going to go up to Napa and visit some of our very, very uh, close and dear uh, aunt and uncle that we uh, absolutely adore and have a good time with up in Napa. So nice. uh, we'll be doing that in January. That'll be the big travel, big adventure month. I could, I could definitely do me some Napa. I was up there not. I was up there a couple oh, so years good. ago. Oh, go up there and so hit every winery possible. Um, yeah. <clears throat> we have a big th- Christmas Eve. That's our typical Christmas Eve. Is usually big, and it's going to be friends and family and. Uh, uh, it'll, it'll be a house full of people. Um, I like it. It's good. You know, and do you, do you have a, like Thanksgiving is always the Turkey and stuff like that. But yes. what we've done as a family, and I don't know if you do the same and I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious is, uh, do you do like a certain, certain food or a meal on Christmas what do y'all Eve do? and Christmas day? What do y'all do on Christmas day? Uh, Christmas Eve, we're t- we do Thai food, and it's something oh. that started back in uh, San Clemente. We had this great Thai food restaurant, and we actually had more family and friends out there in California, so we would actually just kind of take over this Thai food place in yeah. downtown San Clemente uh, and crush. And then we, uh, the next day, we would do uh, we made tamales and made tamales for uh, Christmas Day uh, br- Christmas Day 
dinner. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that monkey bread, that tear apart bread, my yeah, wife yeah. makes a really good one that we uh, kind of Do you, Are you all making your Christmas Thai food Day. here now or are you ordering in? No. No, well, we, we we go to the restaurant yeah, and kind of hang cool. out with the – we have got a place in town. That's so awesome. Thai food's amazing. I can eat Thai yeah. food every day. Um, we, I'm so with you on that. Christmas Eve, we do different food every year on Christmas Eve. We have everybody mm-hmm. over. Uh, it varies year to year. I think last year we did Indian. Um, and I, I typically cook. Um, oh, nice. <clears throat> my, my wife and I will share some of the duties. But typically good Christmas Eve, I'll cook. Um, this year, it's brisket and baked potatoes. So, Strong. Yeah, it's going to be a Strong. twenty pound smoked brisket that's going to be on the smoker for about eighteen hours. Um, we did that a few years ago, and people went crazy. I, I make a good brisket, I do, and uh, it's and, okay. You can hey tout that thing, man. Yeah, I make a good brisket, I do, and then we'll have a bunch of baked potatoes, and we'll set up a baked potato bar with just like all the stuff you can put in them. Um, mm. So we'll do so we'll do that, and the Christmas day we have an interesting one. My my wife's family. Her dad and some of it is even though he's not a practicing his his family is is they're Jewish, and mm-hmm. so uh, they were never he was never practicing Jewish. But um, so Christmas Day we always we they always did locks and bagels, and so that's, oh, that's not bad. so that's yeah. what we do in the mornings. We do locks and bagels in the morning, um, and uh, you know and do that thing. So that's that's always been kind of a tradition. So that's fun. I, I'll tell you cool. right now. I love it. Go get you some good locks and bagels from like over in Bel, uh, go over in Bel Air and get some. Go to the hot bagel shop on Shepherd. Mm-hmm. I'm already. I know it's making me hungry. I feel like I need. Yeah, to get I'm some about to crush after this thing. <laughs> Same thing. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, another year in the books, 2023. Uh, it's going to be a fun 2024. Man, spring training is not that far away. It was like no. 60 days, something like mm-hmm. that. Unbelievable. Starting Fan the- Fest, Astros Caravan, right. January. No, for Get sure. Ready. I mean, it's coming. It's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start the countdown. Uh, you can find us all over social media uh, at Believe in Astros. Blummer's at Blummer27. I'm at Jeff Balky, um, thank you so much for joining us as always. And obviously, we hope you guys have a fantastic holiday and a, a just a, a, a great new year. Be a healthy, happy, prosperous new year for everybody. Obviously, a prosperous new year for the Astros. Yes. Let's get back. Let's get back to the World Series. One game shy last year. Let's let's do it again. And uh, so, Blummer, have happy holidays, buddy, and uh, happy new year. Enjoy yourself. Appreciate it. And I will. And as always, everybody, go Astros. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.